I'm Mark Ficciani. Welcome to Forge Your Path. To see the type of impact he's been able to have on the lives of his athletes is really inspiring. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Forger Path Podcast. This is uh, this is one today that I want to be able to jump into, and I'm putting on my old history teacher hat. For those of you who don't know, I was a history teacher and a coach for 15 years, and to me, it's it's a topic that's always near and dear to my heart. I loved studying history when I was a student in college, and although in my 20s. I wore a number of different hats and had a number of different careers from being an actor to working in advertising and financial sales. When I found myself in teaching for a 15-year period as a teacher and a coach, history was really where my heart was. And so I loved still continuing to study history. I think it's just fascinating to learn from different people that have influenced the world in great ways. Uh, of course, see different lessons of what not to do based on some of the perpetrators in history that have, that have created unfortunate circumstances that have created evil. And hopefully we don't repeat those mistakes. And as I record this today, uh, we're recording in the middle of a time where as I'm speaking about this, as we're doing this recording, there's a, just an, an awful conflict going on right now uh, sparked by the horrific, brutal, unconscionable acts from a terrorist group called Hamas going into Israel, killing people, taking hostages, and just committing atrocities. So the point of today is not to talk about the continuing conflict between Israel and Hamas. It's not to talk about Israel's response. It's not to talk about the historical roots of that conflict. Because, look, I don't care what you tell me, what happened 20, 50, 100, 2,000 years ago does not justify what Hamas did. And I'm going to end that conversation right here at that. What I do want to talk about is something that happened, which is extremely significant, something that happened, as I'm recording this, over 50 years ago. And as a matter of fact, it's exactly 61 years ago that this occurred. And what I'm talking about is none other than what was known as the Cuban Missile Crisis. It was 13 days of conflict that brought our world the closest it's ever been to mutually assured destruction, the closest we've ever been to nuclear war and making choices that would have impacted life as we know it forever. The physical consequences, the mental consequences, the environmental consequences and the legacy of what that would have created if we'd had nuclear war would just be incredible to think about and incredible in a, in a horrific way, just impacting generations to come. So what I want to do is to talk a little bit about some of the lessons from that experience. And to me, it is a tremendous study in leadership and a tremendous study in negotiation and compromise because if you don't know much about the players at hand, we're really talking about three groups, but really we're talking about two diametrically opposed sides. We're talking about the United States and we're talking about the Soviet Union. And yes, of course, Cuba 
is the centerpiece of this discussion. But really, when we're talking about Cuba, I think of Cuba as simply as, as an extension of the Soviet Union and their policies and their extension of communism at this time. So a little bit of background. So what led up to this? Well, as you know, after World War II, or as maybe you don't know, so I'll give you a little quick history lesson. After World War II, when certainly the biggest evil that the planet had ever seen in quite a long time was defeated, when the Allies defeated the Axis powers and Nazi Germany was defeated, this was one of the biggest victories, certainly of the century, that set us up for the future. And defeating Adolf Hitler, all he stood for, all the evil, all the atrocity was of paramount importance. But in doing so, it was quite an interesting alliance that the United States, of course, Great Britain, who after the Revolutionary War became our number one friend, France, and other free countries of the West, we also allied with the Soviet Union, who was, as they say, a strange bedfellow, because the policies of communism and everything that they represented was absolutely opposed to democracy and the way we live our lives here. So it was both a necessary and important alliance to make sure that we won World War II. And there were many people, General Patton, chief among them, who thought, hey, now that we've done the job here and we've finished off Germany, we should literally march into the Soviet Union and go invade and make sure we dispel them and because they're going to be the next enemy. Well, we didn't obviously do that. And obviously thinking about ending one war and starting another was certainly not the prevailing wisdom of the time, but quickly it became very clear through everything that came next with all the different aspects of what happened in the 40s, the building of the Berlin Wall. Uh, clearly the Soviet Union was our next enemy and our diametrically opposed enemy for much of the next 45 to 50 years. And so we developed a policy, we in the United States, of what was known as containment, which is we're not going to necessarily go try to fight and go to war with communist countries, but we are going to prevent the spread of new communism to new countries. So the whole idea of what we called containment was it's like thinking about a virus. Let's keep it contained to the certain population where that's been impacted. And let's not, let's not make sure, rather, let's make sure that new communism doesn't spread in the world. So that was really the primary motivation behind the Korean War. That was the primary mo motivation behind the Vietnam War, because we wanted to make sure no new communism was spreading. Well, sure enough, here we go. And in 19, late 1950s into 1960, Here's Cuba. Cuba is an ally of the United States, and they're a mere 90 miles away. But there's a revolution, and Fidel Castro and communist forces take over the country. So now you have this little island that's 90 miles away from the United States, and now you have communism taking root in the Western Hemisphere right in our backyard. So prevailing wisdom at the time was, well, this is a threat. We need to make sure that we are on the constant watch because if this develops, we now have certainly a danger in our backyard. So in 1961, 
the United States goes on this effort and the intelligence at the time suggests that, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to spark a revolution in Cuba. We're going to help arm the free democratic folks. We're going to get ex-Cubans who fled to the United States and other places. We're going to train them. We're going to bring them into Cuba and let them help spark a military overthrow to overthrow the communist regime. And the entire effort was known as the Bay of Pigs invasion. And the whole idea was we're going to do this and the United States will be free and clear and detached from this whole experience. So we're going to spark this, but we're also not going to be held for the blame and just saying that this is simply a, an effort of democratic folks in Cuba that want this to happen. Well, of course, what goes down? President John F. Kennedy Jr., early in his term, believes all the intelligence coming from the Central Intelligence Agency that this is a slam dunk, it's a no-brainer, this is going to work really well. The Cuban army is untrained, this will be a piece of cake. With our superior intelligence, our superior technology and military, we're going to be able to help these Cubans overthrow the regime, and we're not going to have any any plausibility with it. We're not going to have any responsibility. It's just going to be the Cubans did this on their own. We won't be attached. Well, what goes down? It's an epic failure. It's a complete fiasco. Of course, these trainees don't do the job, and so they lose, and the United States has incredible egg on its face because it's pretty clear-cut that, yes, the United States not only was involved, but we planned the whole thing. So this is a, this is a terrible embarrassment for John F. Kennedy as a president, as a young president, and it's really a black eye for him. So now it's one year later. It's 1962. And what happens? Well, we're always doing reconnaissance efforts. We're always trying to look out and have our planes fly over different countries to make sure that we have the greatest intelligence, the latest ideas and understanding how to defend our country. Well, the recon planes fly over Cuba and sure enough, photographs are taken. They're brought to the attention of the inner circle and the president. And we identify that on October 16th, 1962, there are indeed missile bases being built in Cuba. And the only reason you build missile bases is to be able to fully implement and arm nuclear warheads so that you have a fully functioning capability as a defense policy to be able to guard against the United States and to be able to take action if hostilities are conducted once again. So the Cubans feel like, hey, you just invaded us a year ago through this mock effort to try to get these trainees to overthrow our government. We need to defend ourselves. So these missiles are installed. So immediately, there are closed door meetings, John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, and of course, all the military advisors close the doors. And immediately, here's the dialogue. This is a can't miss, and, and we need to act quickly. We need to act quickly and decisively. We need to invade Cuba before anything becomes operational. And 
This is going to be something we need to act immediately. There's no chance of failure and we're going to get the job done. Well, John F. Kennedy Jr. learned from his mistake. And this is learning number one from the Cuban Missile Crisis, is that in a serious situation, especially when you've made mistakes, you must learn from them and always consider your options. Now, if you've heard me talk before, you've listened to other podcasts, I'm a big believer in speed. I'm a big believer in being a first mover. I'm a big believer in being proactive over being passive. And I'm always a believer in taking action. However, while speed is important, if speed takes the place of sound decision-making, that's when problems happen. If speed takes the place of sound decision-making, that is when tragic mistakes can occur. So speed, while always an advantage and always desirable, should never be the reason that you make a poor decision because it's not okay to rush into something and then make a horrendous mistake, especially when the stakes are this high. So John F. Kennedy decides that he's going to have some closed doors meetings and they're going to work it out and come up with the different options on the table. So by not jumping in and just drinking the Kool-Aid, he learned from his mistakes and he knew to consider the options. Lesson number two, there's always another way. So as an extension of not only the prevailing wisdom of the military minds of the time and these heads of state, these people that had seen all the containment policies from the 1940s on through, there was a prevailing wisdom that there was only one acceptable outcome. We must invade Cuba. And anything else would be considered weak. Anything else would be considered hearkening back to looking at the failures of World War II, thinking about people like Chamberlain in Munich, making the accord to pacify Adolf Hitler and agreeing to annex the Sudetenland, thinking that that little concession was going to end the aggression of Germany. They were going to stop continuing to build territory and grow and take over different lands. So the prevailing wisdom was act strong, do something right now, and what's Cuba going to do in response? What's the Soviet Union going to do? Well, probably nothing. Probably nothing. Because these countries, might makes right. When you have a couple of dogs, what do you need to do? Be the bigger dog. You need to go out and show them who's boss. All they understand is aggression and direct action. So by going to do that, that's the only way the Soviet Union and Cuba will understand that the United States is not to be messed with. So this was the prevailing wisdom. And it had a lot of common sense to it. And yes, there were reasons why that point of view could be easily backed. John F. Kennedy decided that there might be another way. So instead of immediately jumping in and assuming this path was the path, he had Robert Kennedy and all these guys close the doors and go over different options and say, look, I'm not going to accept that there's only one way to resolve this conflict. I'm not going to resolve that there is one unilateral option. So that courage to be able to speak to that, the courage to be able to suggest that there is another way, open the door to what ended up being the key decision.
the key strategic decision that allowed us to come out with an outcome that didn't end up in nuclear war. So the brain trust that meets, they come up with a decision to go for what they called a quarantine. And this is brilliant. Essentially, it was going to be a military blockade, a military blockade preventing shipments coming from the Soviet Union to bring the materials to Cuba to be able to finish the missile bases and to arm these nuclear warheads. And based on the intelligence at the time, while the preparations were being made, the materials had not yet arrived for that to happen. So military blockade, again, being called a quarantine, was going to be considered a very interesting diplomacy because a blockade suggests more of a aggressive maneuver. A quarantine is a little bit softer. Yep, words matter. And the hope was this would avoid being termed as an act of war. Well, what happens? The days progress. And yes, of course, there always still was that other option of the United States invading Cuba. But as the ships got closer, that window continued to diminish. And ultimately, lesson number three, in thinking about how this ended and how the Cuban Missile Crisis was resolved, takeaway number three from this experience is that empathy is the key to understanding and compromise. Empathy is the key to understanding and compromise. So in a situation like this, Nikita Khrushchev, who was the leader of the Soviet Union, he had as much at stake as Kennedy did because he also had the same people pressuring him. He had decades of leaders that also were preaching to him to be strong, to be powerful, and not to tolerate a United States that was going to spark fake rebellions in a country that was really his ally. So he knew that the stakes were high as well. So this very easily could have gotten to the point of no return, because if the United States did invade Cuba, what actually would have happened? Well, then it would have triggered off responses because the United States had a policy where they had openly stated that they would go support any, any country that was under threat of a, of a communist invasion. And that was kind of, that was part of our alliances. That was part of our connections with NATO. And they had their own pact called the Warsaw Pact, which says if any country was threatened that was a communist ally, then they would be forced to respond and step in to defend that country. So if the United States did go into Cuba, then what would have happened was Soviet Union would have invaded West Berlin. And so that free city would then have been probably been populated. And then there would have been a conflict there. The United States would have had to respond. And we quickly would have been in World War III. So here's what happened. Kennedy realized that part of the whole scenario of this situation was that the United States was outraged at the threat of missiles being 90 miles from Florida. But at the same time, we had nuclear warheads in Turkey. So one of our allies, right at the border of the Soviet Union, we had our own missiles there as well. So as part of the agreement, as part of the compromise, 
for these two men who had everything riding on it, had the, had the security and the safety of the entire planet riding on them. Part of the compromise was that Cuba and the Soviet Union would agree not to put the nuclear missiles in Cuba. At the same time, we, the United States, would remove our missiles that were in Turkey. And again, it would be very difficult and it would be very hypocritical for us to be able to argue that there was no presence of missiles should be should exist in Cuba when we had missiles right in the Soviet Union's backyard. While that would have, while that was a great tactical advantage that we enjoyed, because we were in the situation, something had to be given, a compromise had to be made. So the resolution of this crisis was based on empathy. And had John F. Kennedy not had that empathy and understanding we wouldn't have had this compromise. And God knows what would have occurred at that time. So cooler heads prevailed. It's a great lesson in leadership. It's it's one of the most dynamic times in our country's history. I'm, I'm glad I had a chance to learn about it. I'm glad I wasn't alive because I'm sure the tension had to be unbelievable. I know from hearing about different things that my parents shared that almost is folly, but there used to be missile drills where kids would go sit under their desks uh, and practice that just the same way we have lockdown drills today, as though that would prevent us in some way from a nuclear destruction. But John F. Kennedy and Khrushchev made this, made this agreement and we avoided nuclear war. So in thinking about this 61 years later, how can you apply these leadership lessons? Can you be somebody, whether you're just someone that's trying to improve yourself, whether you're someone that's in a key negotiation with another party, can you be the kind of person that learns from your own mistakes by considering your options? Can you be a person that considers that there always is another way rather than assuming that there's only one? And in any discussion, in any situation where you might find yourself on the opposite side of a discussion with somebody or on the opposite side of, of a negotiation or even a conflict? Can you seek to have empathy? Can you seek to put the shoe on the other foot and try to understand the shoes that that other person or that other party is walking in? If you do, you're gonna be so much more likely to come to that common ground that certainly is always important in any situation, any conflict. And I just think that empathy is a quality that the world needs more of today. So thank you, John F. Kennedy, for your leadership in this crisis. I'm fortunate to be able to be sitting here telling this story because had we not had that foresight, I might not be here sharing this story today. So 61 years later, it's a great story and a great lesson. If you've never seen the movie 13 Days, it's a fantastic one. I used to love to be able to share this with my history classes back in the day. And it's just a reminder for us to live with empathy, to live with thoughtfulness, and to keep improving the way that we interact day in and day out. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day, and I'll see you next time. You're back.